Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, Once upon a time, there was a plain that stretched endlessly off to the horizon in all directions, north, south, east, and west. And in the middle of this plain, there was an anthill. And a colony of ants lived inside of the anthill. And uh, one of those ants was named Bill. And uh, one morning, Bill was sitting on top of the anthill, looking off toward the horizon, and he thought he saw something really big out there. And uh, he kept looking, and yeah, it really was something big, and it kept coming closer and, and closer. And, and as it came closer, Bill eventually realized that it was a dead elephant. The elephant had all four legs up in the air. It was just laying there, and it was kind of gliding along on its back uh, closer and closer to the, to the anthill. And, and Bill had never seen a dead elephant coming toward the anthill before, so he was quite interested, and he kept watching. And after a while, he, he noticed that the reason the dead elephant was coming toward the anthill was because his friend Steve was under the elephant, and he was carrying the elephant along toward the anthill. And uh, so eventually, uh, Steve gets close enough, and, and, and Bill says, Steve, why are you carrying a dead elephant? And Steve says, well, I'm collecting food for the winter. And Bill says, how are we going to eat a dead elephant? And uh, Steve said, one bite at a time, Bill, one bite at a time. And uh, sure enough, over the course of the coming weeks and months, uh, every single bite was eaten off of that elephant, and there was just a pile of bones left. And the reason that I mention that is because I, I have this big book in my hands here, Um, This book has 1,427 pages in my particular edition. I hope that you have a a big book like this too uh, that has a lot of pages in it. And and that book is the Bible. And uh, I and uh, Pastor Jeremy are uh, asking our church family to read the entire Bible in the course of 2024. And a lot of people might be saying, how on earth am I going to read a book that big during the course of 2024? And the answer, of course, is one page at a time. And all we need to do is read a little bit of this book each day, and we will easily be able to get through the whole book during the course of 2024. And this year, uh, we have planned to read it chronologically. 
And so if you have a copy of the bulletin and you uh, do electronic stuff, there's a QR code there that you can scan that'll bring you to a page that will allow you to read through the Bible chronologically this year electronically. And if you're like me and you don't uh, really do that, then, uh, you know, you prefer paper. Then uh, in the foyer, there are paper copies of the Bible reading plan for 2024. And you can take one, and tomorrow you can read Genesis 1 through 3, and you can check off the reading for January 1, and you can continue from there on and read through the Bible chronologically during the course of 2024. And by way of background, as you're getting ready to read that whole book, then during the message this morning, I hope to preach on the whole Bible. And uh, so, uh, I hope it takes 35 minutes. Um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But in preparation for that, I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, and I'd like us to look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 uh, from verses 14 to 17. So 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 17. Please open in your Bibles, and I'd like to read that passage in your hearing, and I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to look into your word, I pray you would open your heart, our hearts to uh, what you've revealed here through your Holy Spirit, and that we would receive it. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. So the Bible is able to make us wise into salvation, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, and it's able to equip us thoroughly for every good work, and so, so it's uh, worthwhile to know what's in here. And uh, so I'd like to do a brief survey of what's in here uh, as preparation for our reading during the coming year. So the Bible starts out in the book of Genesis, and we're told in the book of Genesis that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there, he made light, and he separated the light from the darkness, and uh, he separated 
the waters above from the waters beneath and made the heavens and the earth. And, and then on the face of the earth, he separated the dry land from the waters so that there was dry land and there were oceans. And, and then he made plants and he made the sun, moon, and stars. And he made birds and fish. And, and then he made animals. And then as the pinnacle of his creation, he made the first people, Adam and Eve. And he put them in charge of the entire creation, and everything was very good. But uh, Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent, that old dragon, the devil, and uh, he told them that if they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they would be like God. They wouldn't need to depend on him anymore to have the knowledge of what was right and what was wrong, that they could do it themselves, that they could be their own judge of right and wrong. And uh, so they disobeyed God's command, and they did that, and they rebelled against God, and, and their relationship with God was broken. And uh, they died spiritually. They were separated from him. They were no longer living in dependence upon him the way that they were supposed to. And so they, they felt guilt and they felt shame and they felt fear. And, and God knew that they were in danger of a living death. And so he cast them out of the Garden of Eden. But as he was casting them out of the Garden of Eden, he made a promise. And he promised that someday he was going to send a descendant of the woman that was going to defeat the serpent. And so they had God's promise and they went out of the Garden of Eden and life was hard and and Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain, their firstborn, and Abel, their secondborn. And just like dogs have little dogs and cats have little cats, Adam and Eve, being sinners, had little sinners. And so Cain murdered his brother Abel. And uh, Adam and Eve had more sons and daughters and they had children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And, and by and large, those kids tended to get even worse and worse. And finally, they got to the point where the kids were so bad that it looked like the human race was going to destroy itself before ever the promised descendant could come to defeat the serpent. But God intervened, and he said, I'm going to send a great flood, and I'm going to destroy wickedness on the face of the earth, but I'm going to preserve one man and his family, and I'm going to send the promised one through them. And so the great flood came, and God delivered Noah and his family on the ark, and they survived the flood, and they came out of the flood, And Noah had kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, and they were rotten too. And so 
God had told them to spread out through the entire world. And they said, we don't want to. And so what we're going to do is we're going to build a great tower. And that's going to be our rallying point. And we're going to stay gathered around that tower. We're not going to spread out through all the earth. And so they began uniting in their rebellion against God. And God said, you know, someday there's going to be a union of all mankind uniting in rebellion against me, and I'm going to judge it. But I'm going to send the deliverer first to redeem the people that I'm going to call to myself. And so it's too soon for these people to unite in rebellion against me. And so I'm going to stop the rebellion. And so he confused their languages. And uh, some of them were speaking proto-English. And some of them were speaking proto-Chinese. And some of them were speaking proto-Hebrew. You know, all these dialects that someday would become other dialects and other dialects. And they couldn't understand each other. And so they kind of spread out over the face of the earth. And the final united human rebellion against God was delayed. And so, out of all the people that were scattered throughout the earth, God looked and he said, there's a man named Abram. And I'm going to call this man and I'm going to tell him that he needs to leave the place where he is and he needs to go to a new place because I want to work with him. And so he sent Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham went around, and God sent him to the land of Canaan. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. And uh, God sent the 12 sons, Jacob, and their families down to Egypt for 400 years protect them there. And while they were in Egypt, the sons of Jacob, whose name had been changed to Israel by God, so the children of Israel grew into a nation in Egypt. And they got to be such a powerful nation in Egypt that the Egyptians were afraid. And they said, wow, we're scared that these Israelites are going to rise up against us. And so they made them slaves, and they tried to commit genocide. They said, we're going to let the little girls live. We're going to kill the little boys. And uh, they tried to wipe out the nation of Israel. But God said, no, I have promised that through this Abram, the one that I said would come, and he's going to be a blessing to all the nations on the face of the earth. And so I'm not going to let the Egyptians wipe them out. And so he raised up a guy named Moses, and he said, I want you to bring my people Israel out of Egypt. And uh, that brings us to the book of Exodus. And so uh, God used Moses, and he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, and there he gave them the law. And that gives us the rest of Exodus and Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The children of Israel are in the wilderness, and God gives them the law, and the law tells them how to build the tabernacle, and uh, it gives them sacrifices, 
and a way to worship God. And the law showed people how righteous God was, and it also showed people how wicked they were because it showed them that they couldn't do the things that God needed them to do, that they were sinners. The law didn't make people sinners, but the law revealed the people that they were sinners. But the law didn't just reveal the people that they were sinners, but it also gave them a way of having their sins taken care of. It gave them animal sacrifices. And these animal sacrifices were a picture of this promised one that God was going to send to deal with the problem of sin. And he gave them a place to offer these sacrifices, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a visible symbol of God's presence with his people. And it was also a picture that someday this coming one was actually going to be God present with his people. And so the children of Israel, they didn't want to go where God told them to go right away. And so they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. But ultimately... After Moses died, God raised up a man named Joshua to bring them into the land that he promised for them. And so the children of Israel went into the promised land, and God used Joshua to lead them there and to defeat their enemies and to give them the place that he had prepared for them. And Joshua was also a picture that this coming one someday was going to defeat their the enemies of God's people, and he was going to bring them into the place that he was preparing for them. And then after Joshua died, God raised up a series of people called judges to lead the nation of Israel. And the reason they needed the judges is because the nation of Israel was still sinful people. And so they said, God's invisible, we can't see him. But these people around us, these Gentiles around us, they have all these idols, and I can see them. And uh, so I will worship their idols. And so the children of Israel kept falling into sin and worshiping the idols of the Gentiles, and, and then God would deliver them into the hands of the Gentiles in order to be punished for their sin. And, and uh, as they were being punished for their sin, they'd say, oh, yeah, Uh, actually, we should call out to God because he can save us. And they would cry out to God, and he would raise up a judge, and the judge would deliver them. And those judges were all pictures that someday God was going to send the promised one to deliver them from their sin. And so God would deliver them, and they'd fall into sin again, and cry out for help when they got in trouble and God would deliver them and they'd fall into sin and they'd be punished and God would deliver them and they'd fall into sin and they just had these continual cycles where God was delivering them. They kept falling into sin again. Well, then we come to the book of Ruth right at the end of the book of Judges and it takes place during the time of the Judges. And in the book of Ruth... Uh, you have one family's experience during the time of the book of Judges. And this one family, um, they said things are bad here in this place that God promised us, and so they went off into a Gentile country, Moab. 
and all the guys died. And God was gracious to the Israelite widow in that uh, one of her Moabite Gentile daughters-in-law named Ruth was a godly young woman. And she had heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from her husband and father-in-law and mother-in-law and had put her faith in him. And so when her mom, mother-in-law, returned to the land of Israel where she should have been all the time, Ruth went along with her. And God graciously provided for Ruth and integrated her into the people of Israel and ultimately made it so that Ruth would be one of the ancestors of the promised one that he was going to send. Well then, as we come into the book of 1 Samuel, the people of Israel, they're getting kind of sick of this circle with a judge delivering them and then falling into sin and uh, getting punished and having another judge deliver them and uh, they say, you know, God has promised that someday he's going to send us a king of his choosing. But we're sick of waiting. And uh, we don't want to wait for God's king. We don't want to wait for God's timing. We want a king. We want a king of our choosing. And we want him now. And so they demanded a king. And they got one. But it wasn't the king of God's choosing. It wasn't the king of God's timing. And so ultimately, that king led them into defeat. And as they were defeated, God had already worked to provide a king in his timing. And this king, David, was a picture of the promised one, the king that he was going to send someday to deliver his people. And so David delivered God's people from their enemies and eventually when he was about to die in the book of 1 Kings, then his son Solomon came to reign on the throne. And Solomon ruled in wisdom for a while, but then he married some people he wasn't supposed to marry. He married a lot of people he wasn't supposed to marry. And, uh, and a lot of his wives said, you should worship the pagan gods we worship. And so Solomon started worshiping the pagan gods of his pagan wives. And so God said, I'm going to have to take much of the kingdom away from your descendant, Solomon, and so Solomon's son Rehoboam was foolish and 10 of the kingdoms that were in the north of the land of Israel uh, rebelled against Rehoboam and set up their own king. And then in Judah, Rehoboam and his descendants ruled over Judah and Benjamin and uh, with the two tribes. And so we have... Uh, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and basically, during the time of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, we have two kingdoms, and the southern kingdom, which is led by the descendants of King David, has some good kings and some bad kings, and the northern ten tribes of Israel have all bad kings, 
And the good kings worship God, the bad kings worship idols, the bad kings worship idols and worship idols and worship idols. And eventually the time comes when the northern tribes get taken away into captivity into a country called Assyria. And then about 150 years or so later, the two southern tribes have gotten bad enough that they go off and take captivity in a place called Babylon. And the temple that was built by Solomon to replace the tabernacle is destroyed and the city of Jerusalem is destroyed. And for 70 years, the people of Judah are slaves in the land of Babylon. But God is not finished working with the people of Israel. He promised that he was going to bless all the nations through the descendants of Abraham, and he's not going to let them mess up his plan. And so at the end of the 70 years, he raises up people and he brings his people back to Jerusalem. And Ezra and Nehemiah tell us about rebuilding the temple in in Jerusalem, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And then we have the people of Israel, or the people of Judah, back in the land. And then we come to the poetical books. We have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. And in Job, Job's actually going back and looking back to an earlier time Uh, about the time of Abraham when God was working through another righteous guy named Job. And some terrible things happened to this righteous man. And Job is grappling with the question, how can bad things happen to good people? And then in the book of Psalms, we have the hymnal of the temple that they use for praising God. And in the book of Proverbs, we have these practical observations for how to live daily life by the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, before he became one of the dumbest men who ever lived. But anyway, uh, well, he was still wise and uh, gives us the book of Proverbs. And uh, we have Ecclesiastes, Uh, Solomon gets a little older and he's done some dumb things and uh, he looks back at his life and he said, you know what, living here in a fallen world really stinks. And that's what he tells you about in Ecclesiastes. And you have the Song of Solomon where uh, Solomon is again writing and he's talking about the beauty of wedded love. And uh, there, hopefully, he's talking about the first one because uh, he had way too much wedded love later on. Lots and lots, hundreds. So, was it 300 wives and 800 concubines? I can't remember the exact number, but anyway, way too many. Uh, But back near the beginning, when he still knew what it meant, he wrote a beautiful book describing the joys of wedded love. And it was used as a picture as well as the love that God has for the nation of Israel. And that the love, the promised one, would have for the people that would be called out to God from the nations of the earth. And so then we come to the major 
and the minor prophets. And they're prophesying throughout the period of the kings that we've talked about, and they're prophesying throughout the period when they're in captivity that I talked about. And they continue prophesying during the time after the nation of Judah comes back into the land and uh, is reestablished there. And they are warning the people against sin, and they're talking about a time when God is going to work decisively to defeat evil in the world and to set up his promised one as king forever and ever. And after the major and the minor prophets, we have 400 years. And God doesn't give any further scripture for 400 years. And the people wait, and they wait, and they wait, and they wonder, when is God going to fulfill these promises that he's given us? And during these 400 years, you can see a lot of things happening that God prophesied to his people, especially Daniel gives a very clear explanation of everything that's going to happen during those 400 years and beyond. But uh, if they're following along, they can say, yeah, yeah, Daniel was right, that happened. Yeah, Daniel was right, that happened. But they're still waiting. And at the end of that 400 years, the promised one comes. Jesus is born to a virgin. And so he is the descendant of the woman. He's born to a virgin through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he is born fully God and fully man. He is God, the eternal son, become a human being and born as a baby. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about his birth and then about his ministry. How he goes around and he's telling people the truth about God and what God wants to do. And he's raising up disciples and he's training these disciples because the day is going to come when he's going to leave and he needs the disciples prepared for that day. And so Jesus teaches and he heals the sick and he uh, raises the dead and then he does his greatest work of all. He surrenders himself into the hands of his enemies and they kill him. And that is his greatest work of all because that is when he is the sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As he's nailed on the cross, he bears all of the sins that the entire human race can commit throughout all of history. He pays the price in full, and just as he breathes his last, he shouts, it's finished. And he dies. And then three days later, he rises from the dead because the work is finished. And sin is dealt with. And the veil in the temple, which was a picture of man not being able to come into God's presence, is torn in two. 
and the way to God is open. And now Jesus Christ raises from the dead in victory, in victory over sin, over death, and over Satan. And he shows himself to his disciples. And for 40 days, he teaches them and prepares them for what's coming next. And then he ascends into heaven and he sits down at the right hand of God the Father where he is right now, interceding for those who would follow him. And he tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem until he sends the promise of his Holy Spirit. And so then in the book of Acts, that's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes and fills the disciples with his power, and they go out and begin to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ and how people can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that they don't have to remain slaves of sin, that they don't have to remain in bondage to sin and death, but that they can be reconciled to God through faith in him. And thousands and thousands of people start coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And at first they think, well, you know, this message is just for Jews. But it was not. God had promised Abraham that the descendant that he was going to send was going to bless all the nations. And so God worked to show them that this message isn't just for Jews. This good news about Jesus Christ. And so first he sent them to some Samaritans, you know, kind of half-breeds. And they came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he sent them to uh, Egypt, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, who was a proselyte. So he's a Gentile who's uh, come to uh, become a Jew. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. So a half Jew can, a Jew can be a follower of Jesus Christ. A half Jew can be a follower of Jesus Christ. A Gentile who has converted to Judaism can become a follower of Jesus Christ. And then he sends them to a God-fearer named Cornelius. And he and his whole household, he's a Gentile. He just believes what's said about God, but he hasn't officially become a Jew. And he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And then they go to a place called Antioch, and they preach the gospel there. And just plain old, everyday, regular, pagan Gentiles come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so... God has extended the good news about Jesus Christ to people of every tongue and tribe and nation. And throughout the book of Acts, we have the gospel going out throughout the Roman Empire. And then we come to the epistles. And the epistles, that's a fancy word for letters. And the epistles are letters that were written by the apostles and their close associates to these people who were coming to faith in Jesus Christ throughout the Roman Empire. And the Holy Spirit was speaking through them and giving instruction for those of us who would come to faith in Jesus Christ from every tongue and tribe and people and nation for how we can follow Jesus Christ and serve him. And then finally, they come to the book of Revelation. And God speaks to the Apostle John as he's in exile on the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. And he shows John the things that are still yet to come. And he says, you know how 
way back in Genesis at the Tower of Babel, the whole world tried to unite against me, to fight against me. Well, they're going to do that. This is going to happen. There's going to be an evil man who's empowered by Satan, and he's going to unite all the nations of the world against God. And he is going to kill, try to eradicate everyone that's alive at that time who is following Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a mighty conflict, and I am, God is going to pour out his wrath over the wicked of the earth. And then ultimately, at the culmination of all that, Jesus Christ is going to come again, and he's going to set up a thousand-year kingdom here on the face of the earth. And he's going to rule in righteousness, and he's going to rule in perfection. And uh, the people that go into the millennium will be people who were followers of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation. But they're going to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And those children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren are not all going to be followers of Jesus Christ. Many of them will, but many of them will not. And this is a demonstration that the problem with the human race is not our environment. So, so many times we say, well, you know, the reason people are bad is because they weren't raised right. Um, and the millennium is going to demonstrate that's not the case because Jesus Christ is going to rule in righteousness for a thousand years and at the end of that thousand years, the nations of the world are going to rise up against him once again and try to overthrow his rule. And they will be defeated then uh, at the second battle of Armageddon and uh, God will set up a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And there in the new Jerusalem, he will reign with his people for all of eternity in joy and in glory. And so that's what we're reading about this year. And so I hope that each of you will take advantage of the opportunity this year to go through the scriptures and to get a lot more detail than you got in the last 35 or so minutes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. That when we were separated from you, you had mercy on us. That your own son gave himself to redeem us. And Lord, during this time we have now, I pray that you would grant us great boldness 
and sharing this good news with others who need to hear it. And Lord, we thank you that our future is secure in your hands. We commit ourselves to you. I pray in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.